Yes, indeed. 22 minutes past six on Monday's edition of the Deep Dive. Now, we are getting into that conversation. I know I did ask, uh, and be honest with me, where and how. Uh, but, of course, uh, we want to get into the conversation. Before I go any further, allow me to welcome my guest who's in the studio today. So, it's nice to have to feel his presence in the studio. Vince Musere, uh, he's an economist and no stranger to Talk or to the Deep Dive. Vince, good evening and welcome. Hi, Rumbi. Good evening, and good evening to listeners out there. Wonderful to have you here. Wonderful yes. to have you here. Um, so, I mean, we want to really talk mm. about an issue that has become the order of the day yeah. um, when it comes to how people are consuming products and services, uh, or more products, not so much services, but I suppose services as well. Uh, cheap deals and products. Uh, there's uh, what are called runners mm. uh, who have now, uh, you know, whether they're people who go between Zimbabwe and uh, neighboring countries to bring in products. Uh, we don't know if they're being smuggled. We don't know what's happening on that end. But um, a lot of retailers have actually come forward and then they're crying foul and saying this is, uh, it's, it's working against our interests and it's killing our business. Mm. What are your views on runners, you know, to begin with or, okay. or, or, or this phenomenon of, of finding another way yes. to, to get your products? Yeah, okay, let's, let's maybe start at the beginning. The, the idea is that we have to re-industrialize re-indu- our economy. Because there was serious deindustrialization, de- right? And that has led to basically a collapse of the manufacturing sectorism, right? That's a given, right? Now, that sector has to revive. And in order to revive that sector, the various policies that have to, economic policies that have to be put in place in order, number one, to allow them to build the capacity, right, to, to retool. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time, so that they can actually be competitive in producing products, right? That process is... N- is not going well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the implementation plan is neither here nor there. Do you see what I'm saying? So we are not seeing the stated uh, industrialization policies that should happen so that we produce a lot of products locally. Okay. That is the context that we are operating in. So what happens in that sense? In that sense, a lot of people end up sourcing product elsewhere. And that's where the opportunity starts. Okay. So obviously... I, th- I, I think actually runners are very clever because I would go, for example, I'll be based in Musina, right? And I have all the contacts there, right? And you want to come and buy. Instead of you going all around shopping and whatever, I can actually do it. So they're providing a service, which is a very essential service for people who are buying, right? So let's not confuse the idea of runners and the fact that this economy is highly, it's got a lot of imports, Okay, so it's a business model that says instead of you going to China or going online trying to buy, you don't know the shops, you don't know the people, you don't know the quality, you don't know the reputation of those shops, rather give it to Vincent who has been there, who has experience, and he does that on your behalf for a fee. Right, so it's a to me it's a reasonable, uh, it's a reasonable uh, business proposition. If I hear it correctly, Vince, it's almost like we're equating runners to agents. Maybe that's also something we need to demystify. Yeah. When we're talking about runners, is it illegal? Are these, you know, are they illegal agents? Or, you know, or you know, are they agents? Is it lawful? Is it something that you can probably do? Can I actually go into business as a runner? Yeah, I don't, I don't see any particular uh, problem with that. Maybe it's an issue that we of definition now. 
you know, because de facto you're an agent. You know, I an agent is someone you send to do something on your behalf, isn't it? Whether it's buying or whatever, right? Whether it's uh, so you are basically sending these individuals to do, provide you with the service. And I don't think there should be any illegality uh, uh, around that. Yeah. So, so what impact d- does this have? Do, do you look at the current situation, uh, runners, businesses, how has it affected the local market? Well, let me be clear with you or quite honest with you. These guys are smart, right? They know where product is. They know the cheapest products. So they'll deliver to your desk the, your product at the best price which is what everybody wants, right? And obviously this hits against the existing um, local market where you bring in a product that is reasonably priced or much cheaper, right? And given where the economy is, where it's informal sector, I mean, 70% of it is informal sector, you know, people obviously want to access these goods at the cheapest price. And, you know, some of them even can deliver to your house. You don't actually have to go to shops. You do see what I'm saying? So it provides all those, which is the modern way of actually doing business. You know, so to me, that is a, the, the advantage of that. And if the product can land cheaper mm-hmm. at, at your table or in your shop, obviously it's your advantage on a price issue. The issue is that we must not confuse with the issues of, uh, of, of border control. You know, what kind of products are coming into the country? What kind of products are these people bringing into the country? Are they quality products? Are they, uh, you know, are they under some regulation? And that obviously is a major, major problem right now. I mean, go to where, for example, all these traders are. And you see these piles and piles of products that are coming into the country. They just come straight from the border, straight to the consumer. Do you see what I'm saying? Whether it's an authorized product, whether it's got its, its health impact and, and whatever, is, is, you know, nobody really uh, is looking at that. So that's another challenge that, that we're actually facing. Indeed. And I, I remember we spoke to um, representatives of Medicines Control Authority of Zimbabwe. Yes, and yeah. they were highlighting some of those issues, uh, particularly with certain treatments and, yeah, you yeah. know, you know, that come over the border that are maybe, uh, you know, not certified and so on. So it is a big, big, big problem is, in that yeah. case. In and that to case. add to that, Rumbi, nearly yeah. every every housewife or every maybe second one in two housewives is doing in selling something. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we've got mm-hmm. this economy has become such a consumption-based retail economy, and because of high unemployment level, the easiest thing for you to do is to sell some something to someone. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can give you an example. I know a lady; she goes to, to South Africa every week to buy poloni, right across the border. Buys a poloni, comes, and boom, it's taken up every week. She's got a huge demand for it. Do you see what I'm saying? So those are the things that the informality has brought into this particular economy. And I'm even just thinking about storage and hysteria. Yeah, just yeah. In my mind, that, as yeah. you were talking about mm-hmm, that, yeah. um, but but definitely very important factors to to highlight there. Now we must come to the retail chains mm-hmm. and the outcry that has been, you know, uh, chiefly made by them. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, I know when we talked about tax shop, you said, you know, retail chains don't need protection. Are they justified in this case to, to say or to actually say um, that runners are standing in the way of economic transformation in Zimbabwe? What economy, first let's be very clear, what economic transformation, what is it that runners are stopping to happen mm-hmm. that would happen if they were not there? If we took away the runners, what would happen? Mm. You would, would you go to the department shop to buy the stuff? It's not there. It's probably not there. Exactly. Yeah. And where would the f- informal sector, how would they source their goods? 
mm. if they don't have runners. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. So I, I don't, I don't think there should be any beef against runners because it's a new economic structure that has emerged and if you look at the structure you have to actually appreciate and say what structural economic structural changes have happened in order to cause these people to be viable right and how do we ensure that we also become part of that particular structure and not necessarily blame runners because runners are merely opportunists people who are taking advantage of emerging opportunities the fact that number one some of the goods are not prob- are not here and if they are here the price is not similar so there's a price issue and that's got nothing to do with runners right and the second issue is that they know better do you see what i'm saying so they're actually offering a, a particular service i mean these runners could actually even work for the for the big corporates in the sense that if the big corporates are sourcing goods and services, they can actually use people to go and, and do it on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Do you see what? So I don't, I don't see it be the, the outcry against runners as a threat to establish business. I don't see that angle. So, so perhaps to take it further, how can they be a coexistence mm-hmm. between the retail chains mm-hmm. or the, the traditional retail chains or supermarket mm-hmm. chains and the retail chains that we've known from you know mm-hmm. from time to be uh, in the retail business and the runners who are coming up and the informalized uh, you know our lady Arunza yeah. Poloni exactly. where can they meet in this, the yeah. The former structure says you've got a purchasing department that does all your procurement. Right, which brings in all the, the, the goods that you buy, which is the formal structure. The informal structure says you've got runners, right? Whether you can merge those two, I don't think so, right? But but in, in their coexistence, it's now about competition and being actually able to have a better purchasing or procurement procedures that can compete against against uh, you know the goods that are being brought in by, by these particular runners because even if a, a product lands on a table Rumbi, and it's me selling it compared to a big corporate selling it it will land on that table at a much higher uh, price for the big corporate right because of the structural issues and the overheads and whatever the, the cost of running their particular business demands a different price than mine so i am not the reason why their prices are are, are, are huge do you see what i'm saying it is because of the corporate structure that they have that is why the, the pricing is, is and they have to look at that structure and say are they competitive enough in order to because all you really want in an economy is to deliver the best product at the best price at the most convenient are the runners smuggling oh okay that is now a different issue it's got nothing to do with that Uh, let's get into that yeah yeah Mm. it's now an issue of the corruption and the leakages at the border level Mm -hmm. right which is again a symptom of the economic structural issue and not the reason uh, you know, not caused by runners. They're merely taking advantage of the opportunities that they... So they get there with a truck full of stuff. They get there. They don't pay duty, right? Uh, it comes into the country at a much cheaper price. It lands at your tax shop at a much cheaper price. And you get the market. And the big corporates are out of the competition because of that. So a holistic view says, okay, how are products getting in the country and how? Why? Do you see what I mean? And, and, and that's where we have to start. Because if we stop these products coming in, obviously they're not going to be available locally. It's going to change the economic structure. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to take a holistic view on this, on this model. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Mm. If you're just joining us, uh, we are speaking to Vince Musewe this mm. evening around uh, the issue of uh, the cheap deals on products that have flooded the market. Runners in particular, uh, are they taking over business in the CBD? Is there a point of intersection and harmony that can be reached with uh, the uh, retail chains that have already been existing? And what are some of the challenges and opportunities that exist when it comes to runners? Uh, 0719 is the number that you can get in touch with us. So we'd really love to hear your views on this one because you are the consumers. But more importantly, what does this mean for our economy? And Vince will answer that question uh, hopefully before the end of uh, our session this evening. Um, now, th- there's big issues, Vince, around... Um, economies of scale around things like or maybe even not even economies of scale let's talk about currency for mm, example mm, mm. the prevailing policies and regulations around currency what it means for the runner who says listen i just want u.s dollars strictly and that's it then they're not in a position to accept rtgs or zwl uh, yet the retail chain is put in a corner and they are statutorily obliged to take, uh, you know, th- that as legal tender. Yeah. What does that do to the situation, you know, obviously, those issues? Yeah, obviously it disadvantages the retail, uh, the big corporates in that they are not allowed to. I don't know why. Because we have a multi-currency. A multi-currency regime says you have the choice to choose what you want to transact in, right? If we then restrict and insist that people might must take local currency. It therefore uh, compromises their business model. And that's one a major issue. You know, I mean, walk into, walk into the shops right now. There's hardly any cash out there anyway. Bond notes are, like, hard to find. And another issue, Rumbi, that we have to remember is that the huge consumer base of Zimbabwe, particularly urban, is being driven by uh, diaspora remittances, right? There are about 100 to 200 million U.S. dollars coming in every month which go directly to the homes of people who then use that to, you know, for survival, to purchase whatever. So they are not interested in, com- you know, converting that money back. I mean, you, let's say you've got U.S. dollars, right? Go into a, a supermarket right now and you've got U.S. dollars. It's a pain, you know, number one, the way they price goods, right? Number two, whether you get your change or not. So it's becoming much easier just to go to a supermarket when you're going to swipe. Because there's no change issues. Do you see what I'm saying? But so if you, if you if you are not getting if you are getting your cash in US dollars, there is no incentive for you to go to the big supermarkets right now. You'd rather just go to the tax shop. It's a dollar thing. They have change in dollars, you know, and 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 it's much easier. It's much more convenient, and you know, and so that is that is that is the nature of the demand uh, uh, that the big corporates have to understand. Now, if I were managing this economy, I would open it up. And not restrict anyone to take because what does it help to insist on on big companies to take money in? Z- it creates this false demand, you know, this false demand for the Zim dollar, which is you know, and as soon as they get the Zim dollar, what are they going to do? Change it or spend it? Exactly, yes, yeah. change it. Most likely, mm-hmm. they're going to change it into what into US dollar because you see what I'm saying? They migrate to the US dollar. So, w- one of the fundamental problems with the currency issue is that we are focusing focusing on transactional issues. Let me give you an example. If you suddenly say that I must pay duty in US in, in Zim dollars, that doesn't mean I'm going to keep Zim dollars. Okay, it means when I need them, right? 
I keep my money in US dollars. If I need to pay duty in US dollars, I change in Zim dollars. I change my US dollars and then go and pay the Zim dollar uh, duty. It does not mean the Zimbabwe dollar is becoming a currency of preference. Do you see what I'm saying? I do, it I do. It becomes yeah. a currency of preference, Rumbi, when I have Zim dollars in my account for two years or three years and I'm comfortable to hold value in the Zim dollar. Not just to use it as a transaction. So there's this thing that, oh, let's, this facade that, okay, let's create a demand for the Zim dollar. But you create it on a transactional basis, and these are short term transactions, eh? As soon as that done, the tra- transaction, whatever excess I have, I'm going to, you know, uh, buy. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So until we create the confidence in the U.S. dollar that we can save in, in, in sorry, in the Zim dollar, we can save our future uh, in Zim dollar, and it retains the appropriate value, right? Then we are always going to get this issue where people don't want the Zim dollar, and you cannot legislate confidence. I keep saying that you can't tell me to be confident by law which is basically what they're doing to the retail sector, to say, by law, you need to use it. It's wrong, because at the end of the day, it doesn't address the fundamental structural issues of the economy. Yeah. And just to push you a little bit further mm. on that point, what can you recommend then in terms of an effective way to build up confidence or for people to say, you know what, I've got RTGS in my account and I'm okay with that. Yeah. A- and it's actually, you know, money I'm going to keep in there, like you're saying, beyond the transactional. Oh, yes, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. What has been causing the, the, the volatility of the Zim dollar? Why does the Zim dollar continue to, to d- decrease in its value? Obviously, it's because of pre- preference of the US dollar. And it's also because of a lot of speculative uh, transactions that have been happening in the economy, where people are basically pumping up the price of the of the of the of the of the U.S. dollar, you know, and therefore reducing the the purchasing power of the Zim dollar. So it is not an economic thing; it's a behavioral thing, where the psychology of Zimbabweans is that the U.S. dollar is better, and it certainly is in in keeping value, in transacting in it, uh, uh, you know, and holding it for future, or even buying assets in it. Do you see what I'm saying? And that will remain as long as, you know, I always say that the confidence we need, the confidence we need is not transactional. It's a political issue. You see what I'm saying? Confidence is, is probably 60% politics and 40% economics. Because, Rumbi, you can have the economic fundamentals in place and everything is fine. But as long as there is no confidence and trust between the business sector and the policymakers, and uh, you know, I always argue that one we tend to see a government that prescribes policy, as opposed to a government that collaborates on policy, so that the policies they come are acceptable. If I were in charge, I would get into a room with the business sector and everybody, and say, "Listen, guys, what is the best way forward? What would work for you?" As opposed to say, you must use this, you must do this. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's a matter of approach. And then the second issue is obviously something that is very soft and difficult to deal with is the issue of confidence uh, and psychology, which which has been seriously uh, affected by the past, uh, you know, as you would aware, you'd be aware. Absolutely, the dreaded 2008 incidents. Yeah. We shan't even speak about it, but, but absolutely. Um, and then ultimately... What does all this mean for our economy, Vince? Um, you know, the, the, the heavy reliance on imports, yeah. the it's lack a, of confidence absolutely. in the currency. It's a terrible economy. We are in a terrible spot. I mean, I get shocked when some people come in and say, ah, okay, it's fine. Because I'm on the ground, Rumbi, right? And I can tell you, people are not are suffering in Zimbabwe. Number one, is there's no disposable incomes, 
right? Be- simply because there's there's no reliable income streams. There's no job creation, which is you want, particularly for our youth. I mean, go to the streets and see how much uh, what's going. The infrastructure is dilapidated. We have it wrong, but we, it's not that we don't have the ideas, right? We need the appetite. We need a new leadership paradigm. You see, one of the issues that I found, Rumbi, sadly, is that most of our of our our bureaucrats or people who end up running the country are measured on their political loyalty first before their competency. So you then have this huge infrastructure of bureaucracy that is full of people who are very politically loyal but hardly competent to actually, number one, to grasp the issues that have to be done and then implement in a in a measured and clinical way so that we actually get to some place. Let me give an example. About three years ago, we launched the industrialization policy of Zimbabwe, right? We are now launching another one, a new one, and we've got a new minister. And she's now going around trying to find out what is happening. And oh my goodness. Did you, so we basically lost 10 years there. We, 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 did you, and this happens in every area. Whether it's a new minister comes in a particular they start from scratch and begin to learn what has been happening over the... Do you see what I'm saying? There is no continuity, right? Or institutional memory. Uh, exactly. And, and we have a tendency as a country to drive away smart people. Smart people don't like to stay in Zimbabwe because their space is limited unless they are politically connected. So at the end of the day, a lot of our talent ends up doing so well elsewhere. I mean, you know the list of the, 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 the James Manikas who are, do you see what I'm saying, uh, who are doing very well. But, but you and I are still here, and so yes, there's some yeah, great yeah. talent still left. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, there's no question about that, particularly you, my dear. But uh, do you see what I'm So if the economic and political space is limited, you don't get the best ideas being implemented. You get crap ideas being implemented ten times. Is, you know, and that costs a fortune. So the economy will never lift off. I mean, if we compare Zimbabwe to a, a plane that is about to lift off, we've been in lift-off mode for too long. We've been taxiing yes, on, yeah, the runway. on the runway. <laughs> Uh, interesting way to put it across there. Zero seven one nine one hundred four zero four. We are talking economics this evening. Rana and the way that business effectively has been taken over by runners. Uh, where do the retailers fit into this? What does this mean for our economic structure? And ultimately, are we headed in in a good direction? Uh, there, you know, Vince. I've got a lot of fears, you mm. know, and you know, I know we often start off with the comparison of informality I believe it's with the, um, I forget the, the, the country though that we are second to, is it Bulgaria or something okay. um, in terms of informality and so on, but let's really look at the other side of the coin mm-hmm. carrying on like this for the next 10 years for example is it a viable economic trajectory? Yeah. I know we're doing it, you know, or it's happening, as you're saying, it's opportunism. It's people who are, you know, maybe seeing, uh, you know, Panema Gap, and they're just doing what they can yeah. just for an immediate, okay, um, you yeah. know, yeah, and, you know, it's, you know, immediate um, return. And so yes, that's yeah. all but is it sustainable? Yeah. Okay. It depends what you mean sustainable, because let's look at it, Rumbi. Mm-hmm. We, despite what is happening, there's a lot of property development. Have you noticed? People are building. Absolutely. You are so right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So if we look at property infrastructure, it's slowly actually, it's doing very well. You know, we're getting new world-class buildings in place and whatever. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's that sector of the economy that seems to be 
moving in the right direction okay then the rest of the thing is a survivalist kind of economy where you can plan in a year and you know and, and what happens in that instance is that as we go the richer become richer and the poor become you know the poor become poorer so the division becomes much much more much more kind of uh, visible you know as, as as wealth because that wealth becomes concentrated in a particular sector of the economy right now the the issue now is you know i don't know Rumbi, you know why some people don't actually look at it this way particularly the policymakers this is our problem we have an economy that is usually a monopolistic economy right an economy where small companies and whatever are struggling Right. Obviously, right now, the big corporates are struggling also because of, of power and whatever. But if we look, at, for example, at our major, major industries in the food sector, in the mining sector, right? Those are dominated by just a few, less than 10 companies that are operating in, the, in those. And they're doing very well. I mean, we can announce, for example, that we've exported a billion worth of, uh, ex of tobacco. But if you really uh, put it down, it's two or three companies who are doing. And remember, that money does not belong to the country. It belongs to those companies. Do you see what I'm saying? The money that goes to the country is export tax and if they pay income or corporate tax. And Zimbabwe currently, corporates, can you believe it, only contribute 19% to our tax revenues. 19%. Shocking. Right? Individuals, that contributes the most to 25 Right, and then individuals' income tax is about twenty percent. And the sad thing is, even our resource companies, where most of the wealth of the country is sitting, only contribute three percent to our tax revenues. Do you see what I'm saying? So all these big mining deals that are happening, you know, we might make noise about it and what. The fundamental thing is that what is the dollar that is trickling into the revenue stream of the government that you and me can actually benefit from, and it's very little. Right, so we have to really look at that structure and say, listen, this structure will not drive this economy because that is a colonial structure that had an, in, a, a population of two, three million Zimbabweans or six million, whatever. Right now, we've got fourteen million Zimbabweans who need to make a living, right? And and this economic structure cannot meet the particular needs, hence the informalization. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to then have serious economic blueprints that says, okay, let's split our country into these provinces and let's have aggressive provincial industrial development where each province, do you see what I'm saying, uh, is beginning to use its, its major endowment. So it's not only Harare. So we've got a, we've got a big uh, corporate that's brewing beer in, in, in Mutare. Do you know, for example, Rumbi, that we've got two major bakeries in Zimbabwe or three? Uh, Lobos, Insco, and Proton. Yeah. Right? And in some countries, in Mutare, where I lived for a while, we actually import bread from Marara. Can you believe it? They don't even bake their own bread. To, what happened to Mitchell's? Uh, whatever. Do you see? So the, the economic structure is wrong if we are to actually meet the, the needs and aspirations. Hence, a lot of people just leave this country because it's either you land a big job with a big corporate or you are a runner, right? Or you are a dealer. Do you see what I'm saying? You you know, or you are working in a, for a company where you're getting peanuts. Anyway. So it's hardly exciting anyway. And we have to, to relook at the whole economic structure. You get me? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And hey, yeah, yeah. You're painting such a bleak picture. <laughs> but I do appreciate that we need to have these real conversations yeah. and start to ask the right questions. Um, there's questions coming in from our listeners, incidentally. Um, Mijan Borodol says, 
Pamberine Marana, more affordable prices, more choice for us, the cash strapped consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, comments on that? Yeah, obviously. Obviously. I mean, one, you want your, your product. You know, I mean, for example, if we look at the issue here, Makoma toiletries and whatever, they're so cheap in South Africa. Have you realized? Go to the shower big shop. gel. Exactly. Or bath gel. Yeah. Mm. You know, you get a runner to actually bring it to your table at a much, much cheaper price than if you were to go and buy in, in this big, big retail. So, you know, the, as I say, the game has changed, the cheese has moved. And we need to follow the cheese. Yeah. Absolutely. Kunyanya, the policymaker, somebody here just says, I hope the powers that are that be are listening to these sharp brands. Uh, so I hope so too. Uh, and that we can start to chart discourse towards my solutions around this issue. This one says, good evening. Retailers complain about the uneven playing field. Uh, for example, the controlled exchange rate taxes, ETC. Do you agree with this contention that the playing field is uneven and that the retailers get, you know, the short end of the stick as it were, since they're the only ones complying? Yeah, obviously, I think they do. I think it's unfair for them to have to charge a US dollar. The issue of my tax, I mean, corporates are not paying much tax in them. They've got all these allowances and whatever they claim and whatever. And you must also remember, if we take one particular retailer whose name I haven't, I, I won't mention for purposes, they've been in business for 81 years, Rumbi. They've been doing the same thing for 81 years. Goodness me. It's time to change. To switch. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, what tends to happen also, Rumbi, is that one thing I've noticed, Zimbabwe business people are not attracting the best brains into them. It's just culture where people stay as a CEO for 20 years of one company, right? And they are not bringing in the fresh brains to re-innovate and reinvent themselves. And therefore, they end up being uncompetitive and complainers as opposed to actually take advantage of, 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 of what is changing. Typically, we don't have entrepreneurs running a lot of companies in Zimbabwe. We have uh, accountants and maybe lawyers and digital who end up being CEOs who have never run a business in their lives. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're basically bureaucrats. You know, who look at the, so, so the, the, whereas the informal sector is where the huge, I mean, those guys are exciting. Things can change tomorrow morning, Rumbi, and these guys survive. They're entrepreneurs. And that is the spirit that we want to actually run this economy. Not with this old story, old bureaucrats who've been in the same job for 20 years and who are scared of competition, but the young, fresh guys who are coming and setting up a little shop, offering awesome product and actually competing head-on with these guys. It's a nature of, 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 of change. You know what I'm saying? The big guys become dinosaurs because they don't want to change and they complain. And the small guys who are smarter and more limber, more flexible, more informed, win, win the game. Absolutely. So perhaps, uh, 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 oh, I don't know. We do have a minister of small to medium enterprises. Is, is it doing enough to, <laughs> to, to capacitate entrepreneurs? No. Absolutely not. That's the most useless ministry in Zimbabwe. You don't say. Absolutely. What have they done? Capacitating small to medium enterprises, formalizing the informal sector, having discussions around. You see now, yes, yeah. You know the problem with the view to implement. What you know, as I'm saying, this there's nothing wrong with an entrepreneurship culture. You should be able to set up your own little company, and you know, and you do well because you're producing something different, whether it's a product or a service, right? And we should actually have, we should incentivize these people. I mean, I see, for example, Rwanda or is it Ghana that has done that? 
that or Uganda just announced that all the new kind of innovators and startup companies will not pay tax. Do you see what I mean? We are more comfortable to give tax breaks to huge investors that come into the country. We give them a tax holiday for five years. They bring in a billion. They take out three billion. Do you see what I'm saying? And yet we don't give tax breaks to entrepreneurs who are local who are actually going to build the, 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 the country. So we need to give tax incentive to people to do startups and actually have innovation hubs so that people can create new products. Youngsters are actually doing it. I mean, Rumbi, go to some of these... Uh, uh, conference these uh, you know uh, uh, meeting rooms youngsters are there online trying to make it and you know doing exciting things the spirit is there the energy is there but it need to be complemented by the appropriate leadership number one at ministry level is we need the appropriate people there with the competence to understand the, the, the issues and who have the broad mind the open mind it's very dangerous to have someone who's never left Zimbabwe to lead, uh, uh, to lead, because they've got no exposure, Rumbi. Do you see what I'm saying? So that that is obviously one one of my uh, my views. Okay. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Um, okay, this message comes in and says, um, Marana Manyama, Zutuarinane Utenga, Kule Marana, Kwagati Chipei. Only one problem with them, Ramu Havana, Customer K, Vani Raf. And even beyond that, they don't, there's the issues of not adhering to Standards Association of Zimbabwe guidelines. Also, Panogo knows that I'm a health issue. scams, yeah. scams, and so on. So, so. You know, I don't know. How can you respond to to this particular they, one? I think you have to be careful. I mean, you can't just put them all in one basket and, you know, say they are useless and therefore. Do you see what I mean? There's some very smart people who are doing it very well, who, who know that, number one, you know, it's it's a state. They can create a sustainable business model for themselves and they go and they, they do their appropriate research and they actually offer you... But whereas there are then others who are just chances, who are just taking a chance and throwing the product at, at you and disappearing the next day, you can't even get hold of them on the on their cell phone. Do you see what I'm saying? So there are various uh, standards and levels of operating. We can't say they are all doing the same thing. But but it's a it's a it's called intermediary, Irumbi. When you intermediate. You you are operating between the product uh, uh, product producer and the what and the consumer and you are intermediating and facilitating uh, the the transfer of those goods or services to the consumer and there is nothing wrong with that we you know one could actually then say if 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 it's a, if it's a, if it's possible let's have standards. Let's have standards for those runners. Or, or, or with the man, within the runners yes, themselves. Yes, could you listen, the runners association of Zimbabwe, listen, you can join, you have a fee, you join, you get trained how to do this, you get given people who you can... You see, it's a business opportunity. Mm. A lot of people are doing it informal, people who don't even get trained are just being asked to do these things. So we can actually make it a, a viable career. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Yeah. So, so, so th- there is uh, lemonade to be made Absolutely. from these lemons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. So it almost sounds to me, as we, we were coming yeah. to the end of the program, Vince, we first run out of time. There's never enough time, is there? Um, but do you think that the solution then to all these problems lies in the formalization of the informal sector? Okay. It's very, very uh, important, Rumbi, that we all understand what formalization is. Well, because formalization means different things to different people, right? The issue, for example, it could be people getting access to medical aid. Do you see what I'm saying? Or it could be people getting trained in particular a particular skill. So that, do you see what I'm saying? If you look at Makorokoza, for example, 
if we could formalize them by making sure number one you get a license number two you are trained and number three you got insurance and a, f- a policy so that if you if you're sick do you see what i'm saying uh, so various ways of formalization depend on what you want to define formalization remember that informal does not only apply to vendors and these it applies to even professionals who are working from home not for a company do you see what i'm saying so it's a it's a it's a plethora of policy measures that we have to take. But why do people end up in that situation? People end up in that situation because that is the opportunity space that is there where they can begin to operate and be viable, right? So we then have to say, if that is a permanent move, right, how do we ensure that it's easier? Because there is no point to, be to get people to pay taxes while you're not providing the service. Do you see what I'm saying? So we say, oh, let's formalize them, pay tax and whatever, and then you don't give them the space to operate, or you don't make it easier. For, so there's no incentive for them to pay tax, so they'll always operate outside the taxing. It's a complex social development phenomenon that includes a whole lot of issues, uh, opportunities, psychology. So we need, we, we, we need to look at other countries that have done it and, and, and see, you know, I know, for example, my, my colleague Godfrey Kanyenze has done a lot of work uh, on, 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 and he would be the best person you could talk to about uh, formalizing the, the the informal sector. Thank you. No, definitely we will take that up with him, but uh, thank you so much uh, for your views uh, Vince and uh, for really laying out, uh, you know, what could be mm. and also, you know, just trying to break this uh, you know, this 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 uh, uh, equation, the runner equation down. More messages coming in, people just saying, Amarana Manyama, I'm seeing that quite a lot here. <laughs> Because obviously they're saying, listen, I want to be able to use a good quality product uh, for, for as little as possible. Your parting shot, Vince, before we let you go. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, Rumbi, for a long time, we've always said Zimbabwe has got a lot of potential. And sometimes it's really disappointing that we are not seeing the tangibility of that potential. Do you see what I'm saying? Zimbabwe is, is one of the richest countries in the world when it comes to mineral resources. We shouldn't worry about tax, taxing individuals. We should be making so much money, such as other countries that have oil, that have gas, we have also the appropriate minerals. Do you see what I'm saying? So, something has to give. I mean, we've been saying this for such a long time. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's only until the penny drops and we say, wow, okay, why are all these countries coming to to Zimbabwe? Because they, they know there's money to be made. Now, let's sit down and see when do we begin to make money for ourselves. That is the fundamental paradigm shift that we need to go through as a country. Critical question, and that's a good place for us to end the conversation this evening. I cannot thank you enough, Vince, uh, for being on the program. And always, I always love my conversations with Vince. Uh, always very pragmatic, uh, but we will certainly uh, have him uh, more and more on the program to talk more about economic issues. Vince Museo, economist, our guest this evening. Thanks so much, Vince. Good okay, Rumbi, take care. Cheers, Cheers bye.